This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle. I learned that from James Golden. Let the song play a little longer. An hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock, and we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week or a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. It's a great show for you today. We'll be here until 3 o'clock. Then Curtis Lewa comes in at 3 o'clock for Left versus Right. You can listen to us on the radio. You can download the app, wbcradio.com. It's, uh, we're going to do predictions for 2023 today. That's our little nugget. That's what we're going to do. And uh, we have Christian along. Ava's taking your call. Kevin running air traffic control. It is really great to have you here. Uh, my inbox has been full of stuff about Santos and complaints that I haven't addressed it enough. I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to do that until about halfway through the show. We'll do that at the bottom of the hour I'm, uh, or later on. Uh, it's been an amazing week for me. A lot of you have uh, might have tuned in. I filled in for James Golden this week, and um, that's what a great opportunity. You know, like, it caps off a great year. Um, I learned a new skill. I tested myself a little bit, you know, getting to see. If, you know, one of the things for those of you who have been following this is I think our 42nd episode, 41st episode, you remember, and I say this from time to time, that I have this advantage that I come in as a weekly host. I get a chance to kind of let things sit and marinate. I get a chance to prepare kind of like thematic shows. I don't feel the necessity to kind of do hot takes day by day. And so doing a daily slot, first of all, it's a great opportunity for me, and so I'm really grateful for it. And I'm really grateful for how great listeners have been. Uh, folks really did tune in, and it was great. Um, still going to be doing it on Monday and Tuesday, um, and that's going to be nice. But I, I, I realize that I've, I've just had more, even more admiration for people who do this for a living, day in and day out. For me, I was like a minor leaguer that got called up to the big show. Um, you know, you get – we had a really, really busy end-of-the-year news cycle. Uh, it usually isn't that way. People go away on vacations. You've heard a lot of people filling in. Dominic filled in this morning at James Golden's weekend show. You've heard, um, I think Dominic filled in during the week for Greg Kelly. You had Lydia who filled in, um, in in the morning. I filled in. It was a great opportunity for all of us. A little bit of a different rhythm, and you never know how listeners are going to react, and frankly, people have been very kind. Um, you know, another another audience had to put up with my hockey talk. Got a little bit of a talking to about that. Chad takes me aside. He says, listen, I want you to do more 
you know, when you talk about stuff, feel free to throw in like sports and culture. We're an all-purpose radio station. And uh, I said, well, what's with the hockey? And he's and I said to him, people love hockey. He says, you know, even on sports radio stations, people don't talk about hockey. So I'm going to dial it down a little bit. Um, a lot since we last met. Title 42 got extended. A uh, little bit of hypocrisy involved. 19, I think, or 16 states attorney generals arguing that we still are in a COVID emergency, so government has a right to keep this in place. Well, I think they're going to regret saying that the next time there's a mask mandate or a vax mandate because I thought that we were starting to get out of this COVID thing. And then on the other side, the left is like, oh, my God, you you can't have these restrictions in place anymore at the border because we're done with COVID. And these are the same people who want us all to wear a mask on top of our mask, on top of our plastic sheath over our head. Um, Trump taxes. Um, Trump taxes were released. I, you know, I'm ambivalent about it. I think it's a bad precedent. I'm not crazy about it. But the thing that makes me feel a little bit better about it is he did say he wanted to, and he did say that he would. A lot of other taxes, but I'm asking you the specific question. Is it true that you paid $750 in federal income taxes? Each I understand. But, but let me, at, no, Mr. President, I'm asking you a question. Will you tell us how much you paid in federal income taxes in 2016 and 2017. Millions of dollars. You paid millions of dollars? Millions of dollars. So yes. not seven Millions of dollars. And you'll get to see I, it. I, and you'll get to when? see it. Yeah, we're going to get to see it. So he's he wanted it. So we're going to get to see it. Look, on the other hand, there's a couple of things. that you know. I'm, I'm not obsessed with this story. I get the tit versus tat kind of thing. But let's remember something. There's no he's the tit, tat. He's the tit or tat. I don't know what he is. He's the person that was supposed to do it after the Democrats did it because Hillary Clinton released hers and every presidential candidate going back to 1958 or 68 released theirs. So the tit-for-tat is only that he didn't do his. That's where the tit-for-tat is. But I'm a little bit, I'm not crazy about it. I'm not crazy about that way of, you know, the guy's out of office now if you want to, I mean, he is running again. I can see both sides of it. But more importantly, um, I mean, the, the big thing we kind of learned that all of us in New York knew, for those of you listening around the country, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-922. For those of you all around the country who think that he's a successful businessman, we, all, we in New York know better, and we got a chance to see just what, you know, he lost $313 million in DJT Holdings. That's like half the value of his, you know, he's lost every year that they released by tens, 20, 30, 40 million dollars every year. He's not a good businessman. <laughs> Which is why he, I think, yeah. but on the other hand, you know, I, I find it, I, I thought it was, un, it was almost unnecessary because there had been some reports. I mean, everyone knows, I mean, there's nothing new, really, to be honest. There is this overarching question, though, and it goes to the Santos thing we're going to talk about later. And it goes to a lot of things Joe Biden says. If a politician or a public figure says something that's not true, it's, it's fair to, re- you got to report it. You got to report it. And they should be held accountable, Period. That doesn't mean you get to decide what accountability means, but, you know, like, oh, well, he lied, but it didn't matter. Nah, everything matters. I mean, in politics, you, you, get, you get held accountable. It get, we, get, we talk about it. Um, the last thing that happened since last week, we're going to talk about it with Curtis, is the legal cannabis stuff. I have real concerns. Listeners to my show know I did a whole episode raising my concerns about this. Um, and we're going to have a chance. He and I are going to have a chance. So he, he reported live from the opening of the shop. He and I have talked a fair about about cannabis. Actually, Curtis talks a lot about about drugs. Something's going on there. 
By the way, if you want to reach me on Twitter, at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, WienerWABC at gmail.com is where I've been getting mail, WienerWABC at gmail.com. Some nice notes have come in there, some ones that are a little bit saltier. Um, and also, I should remind you, the Middle Unplugged, episode 10, is now out. It, it's, it lands every Wednesday or drops every Wednesday. It's kind of like this show, just a little bit punchier and a little bit a few more curse words. That's all. We, we talked about the sent. Well, I, we talked about that other, that other guy. So let's do some numbers of the week. For those uh, of you who are familiar with this format, what I like to do is I like to take some n- numbers that appeared in the week, give it some context. A lot of the numbers of this week are like of the end-of-year variety, and you can pick pick any number of them. There's some sad ones. 19, the number of Rikers Island inmates that perished under the care of we, the taxpayer, this year. Um, but a lot of economic ones also. Standard and Poor's finished the year down 19%. I heard Steve Moore give different numbers. These are not inflation-adjusted. Uh, down 19%. NASDAQ down 33%. Dow down 9%. Basically what happened is at the very beginning of this year, a rally that had gone since March of 2009, ended. January 3rd is when the economists say it actually officially ended. Up to that point, the economy had gone, you know, the the indexes, the market had had seen a 600% increase. We had an amazing run there. And what happened on that first week in January? Well, inflation started to rear its ugly head. It was the first time that the Fed said that they were considering ratcheting up the cost of money, interest rates, um, so that they can kind of deal with what they saw as the coming storm of inflation. They turned out to be right. But when they started talking about it, the markets react. They've been down ever since. And just to be clear, I know in the in, during in political season, campaign season, we blame we blame Biden a lot for inflation. We blame politicians for inflation. But but fundamentally, our inflation fighting arm of our government, the people that we entrust with monetary policy, is what this is called. It's the Federal Reserve. That's why, you know, the chair of the Federal Reserve, while it's not considered one of the sexier things that everyone yells about on talk radio, it's a very, very important job. And so they see inflation coming, and so they have very blunt objects to work with. They raise rates, meaning they raise the cost of money. If they're if the Fed raises a rate, that means your neighborhood bank is paying a little bit more for the money, which means that they charge you a little bit more for the money. Um, the Fed raises rates. Fewer people can afford or choose not to pay those higher rates. So things that rely on debt financing rely, and that's everything because we put everything on our credit cards, and that goes up as well. People who rely on those things um, stop buying them. They, there's less demand for them. And when there's less demand for things, prices uh, drop, and then inflation is tamed. However, if you think about that, if there's less demand and prices drop, that means that companies are making lower profits and then their stock values go down. That's not always the case. You've heard me yell about some of the companies that have done very well, like the oil companies, but that's what's going on in the marketplace. If you're going to buy a bicycle or you're going to buy a car or you're going to buy a house and you need to go to a bank to finance or you need to put on your credit card, you think twice about doing that. That drops inflation for sure because that forces prices to come down which is the opposite of inflation, obviously. And um, and that's how it works. So it's, you know, sometimes I hear people talk about the policies on inflation and say, you know, oh, my God, it, they don't understand. They're just slowing down the economy. Well, that's what they, unfortunately, is what they're built to do. That's not a bug. That is a feature. 
And one more number in the same category is now Tesla, which I'm, you know, I become increasingly attentive to, is down 65% for the year. Um, and that day that I talked about, January 3rd, 2022, um, when this this sell-off began or this, you know, the inflation started to eat away at, at corporate profits and the like, that day, Tesla was up 13.5% that one day. And since then, I didn't give you an idea. Like, think how much. And they're down 60% for the year, 65% of the year. And they were at 13% on that that one day, so you know how much they what a rough year they've had, uh, uh, they've had up to now. So um, those are some of the numbers, and that last one, the Tesla one. Uh, I should add one more because it's one I've mentioned before, and it'll play into at least one of my predictions of the year. And by the way, if you want to get on the board to give me your prediction, eight hundred eight four eight WABC eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Ava will get you set up. You'll tell her where you're from. What you want to talk about? Or you could always tweet at me at Rep Wiener. Um, that that four is continues to be a number that Kevin McCarthy wakes up with every day. He needs to find somehow a way to get elected speaker when he only has a four vote margin, and there are now five Republicans who are saying they won't vote for him. So he is contorting himself every which way in order to get that final uh, that final vote. And um, when we get back, I will tell you that my first prediction is about what is going to happen with Kevin McCarthy. We we are uh, going to get to that. I have some – I mean, look, here's the way I set out to do these predictions. I like – they're basically a lot of things that I've talked about over the last year or so. But also there are some, uh, some other things. There's, some of them are a little bit – Goofy, I got a few. I put out an APB to some of my listeners and some of the folks who uh, follow me, and and I got some ideas, but um, some of them are just loopy. I mean, some of them are okay, but some of them just don't don't actually fit into the whole thing. But when we get back from the break, I'm going to go into my predictions of the year. Then we're going to talk about yours, and then at the bottom of the hour, I'll do a little Santos, if if you know, just to talk a little bit, uh, since I have some experience with what it's like to have to resign from a seat in Congress because you've lied. We've got Christian Ava on the other side. We've got you here on the middle. I'm so grateful. I'm Anthony Weiner. We'll see you on the other side. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Pretty frightening, but you know the chances are so small. Stuck by beasting, nothing but a bee thing. Better chance you're gonna buy it at the mall. But it's a 23 or 4 to 1 that you can fall in love by the end of this song. So get up, get up, tell the bookie put a bet. I'm not a damn thing will go wrong. The odds are that we will 
And welcome back to the middle. It's Anthony Weiner, Baronick, and ladies bringing us in. Odds are, odds are we're going to have a great year. That's what I'm praying for. It's what I'm praying for you and your family. We've had a great year here. And we're going to do some predictions now. And for that, we've got my now famous prediction music. Nicely done. Christian was ready. So you might remember this bed. You might remember this music. Because this was the music I used to correctly, almost perfectly predict the midterm elections for the Senate races. You'll forget about that Mandela Barnes prediction. She had one mulligan. All right, let's start with the Speaker of the House of Representatives. As I gaze into the future, into 2023, I see the Speaker will be the gentleman from Louisiana, Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise is presently the whip of the House. You may know his name. He briefly became super famous. He was shot at the—remember that crazy guy came to the congressional baseball practice and shot him? Thank God he survived. And um, here's what's going to happen with that. He's going to become the speaker before anyone has time to discover what his record is and take a look. If you want to have some fun, go Google Steve Scalise and the quote, David Duke without the luggage. (laughs) He is— it's that's how one of his colleagues described him back in his early years in politics. But here's the thing. Steve Scalise, same leadership guy, same leadership team, supporting McCarthy, obviously. But he's a compromise that I think the, the wackadoo Freedom Caucus will go along with. And if Kevin McCarthy doesn't give in on the big re- – remember the big thing that the Freedom Caucus wants, or these guys, these holdouts want, is they want something – called um, a, dis, uh, a motion to vacate the chair, being a privileged motion, meaning anyone can bring it up at any time. And that basically means that you throw out the speaker. You do that, then nothing will ever get done. Nothing will ever get done. So first prediction, Steve Scalise, Scalise Speaker of the House. Uh, the next prediction, Jeff Bezos will buy the Washington Commanders, and he will sell the Washington Post. He will realize that the way to cultural significance is not owning an august newspaper it's owning a 500 football team a 500 performing football team that won't make the playoffs again this year jeff bezos now the thing is will he sell the washington post he's he's clearly shown that he's getting tired of it he doesn't have the same investment he once did so jeff bezos that's my prediction for you my next prediction for 2023 tiktok will be banned in the united states i just saw ava drop her phone to start to write a letter to her congressman. No, I uh, I actually think this could happen. I'll tell you why. First of all, it should be. It's terribly pernicious in the amount of information. Uh, where's my bed? Uh, doesn't it keep going? Or it doesn't go looping? Is there some way to loop it forever? I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on here. All right. Thank you. Um, uh, TikTok, is, it's, it's got opposition on the left, opposition on the right. It is uh, the Republicans and Democrats dislike it for various different reasons. We both think that it is too influenced by the um, by, by the Chinese. It's coming back. And but I think it may come back once it's it's banned. So let's leave that um, next. There are on average nine special elections in the House of Representatives every cycle. Now, a cycle is two years, as you know. I predict there will be four that happen this year. 
I predict there will be 10 overall, and I predict the Democrats will win three and the Republicans will win one, leaving us one heart attack away from throwing the Congress into chaos because it would be a, a, a flat-footed tie if that were to happen. Um, and uh, next, I predict, I mentioned Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, I mentioned Elon Musk. I get my top two richest people in the world confused all the time. I predict because of all of its cost-cutting, its closing its server towers, in closing its offices, and firing its personnel, that Twitter will have a major crash this year. It will go offline for days, not hours, for days. And um, I had a joke inserted here about what will happen to all of us who love Twitter so much, but basically the world will be a lot better off. But I predict big problems for Twitter on the technical side. Some people suggest that he may sell. I don't, I don't see it. I don't see how he walks away taking an L on that. And then my final prediction for the year is I believe that chat GPT, I don't know if you're familiar with this, GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. It's a deep learning artificial intelligence app that you can now download to your phone that understands language so well combined with its ability to search with its ability to create artificial intelligence that you can say to it now, um, uh, tell me, um, you know, wh- wh- which of the various types of poetry do you find the most, you know, whatever. And it'll write a whole long thing. So my prediction is this will be the year that this becomes so popular that at least one news reporter, one college professor or, or PhD candidate, and one medical doctor will get fired in 2023 for relying upon chat GPT. And those, perfect timing by Christian, and those are my predictions for 2023. And I want to hear what yours are. It can be politics. It can be technology. It can be something in your own life. It can be something that you'd like to see have happen. Um, And um, I look forward to getting you up on the board. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And let's go to the calls. Let's go to Joe in the Bronx. Hey, Joe, thanks for calling. Uh, yeah, good morning. Uh, ho- well, good afternoon, actually. I uh, hope you can hear me okay. Um, you, how's the reception? It, it sounds great. You've got a voice for radio, my friend. All right, terrific. Uh, so just to touch on your earlier point with regard to the Federal Reserve combating inflation, uh, I would like to counter that point by saying that you know over the last 10 to 15 years, <clears throat> with quantitative easing, uh, the Fed has actually been creating or causing inflation by injecting all this liquidity into the economy. Now, the liquidity up to this point has been relegated to securities prices, that is to say stocks, bonds, equities, debt, etc. But now it's trickling into the consumer economy. Now it's becoming very problematic because you're feeling that the consumer, the average American, not just somebody who's actually benefiting from having his portfolio being artificially inflated with all this excess liquidity being invested in the securities markets, but now it's being felt at the consumer level, the CPI, consumer price. But let me ask you, Joe, I I, I hear the argument, and and quantitative easing for our listeners, it's like that that there are times that you want very, very low interest rates because you want more economy, more when people are holding on to their money because they're concerned about the future of the economy. 
The Fed uh, uh, loosens, pumps some more money in to try to get people into the market. But, Joe, here's the problem with pointing the finger at quantitative easing. How do you explain the timing right after the onset of a war, right after COVID? It does seem to be that this, that, that those are the more likely reasons for the inflation, not the fact that, that someone in 2010 was able to take out a loan that they weren't able to now. Hello? I'm with you. Am I still here? You're still here. Okay. All right. Terrific. Uh, so basically, I, it's not the only contributing factor, but it's a major one. And I definitely hear you with regard to COVID, because what we have now is not only an excess of liquidity, too many dollars chasing too few goods, but we have too little production to catch up with the excess demand that was caused by the lockdowns. So you had one problem. You had the lockdowns shutting down production of goods and services. And you had increased demand and liquidity being injected at the same time. Right. Well, Joe, I, I appreciate that. that was a really good summary. I, If I had to point fingers, I'd point a finger at the latter just given the time connection. Um, qualitative easing, a lot of people had concern. They've been saying for years and years and years it's going to cause inflation. They've been saying for years and years and years government debt was going to cause inflation, expending by the government. And it never did. And then, boom, we have a war. And we have COVID, and now we have inflation. I think those are probably the 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 the, the more the more accurate, well, the the more direct causal uh, uh, reasons for um, for inflation. Next, let's go to Scredder in, in. Wait a minute, what is this name? Scredder in Connecticut. Go ahead. I don't know if I'm doing that name right. It's Scrapper. Scrapper. I'm apologize, my friend. Go ahead. Thank you for Thank joining you. us today. I, you're very good, Anthony. I think in three years you should run for mayor. And I also think that when somebody were, refers to Washington, D.C. as the uh, swamp, they should refer, refer to it as the septic tank, just like Albany. They insult the swamps all over the world when they call D.C. a swamp. Okay, we'll call yeah. Wash- we'll call Washington D.C. the septic tank. Thank you for the vote of confidence to run for mayor. To, uh, you know, a scrapper is from Connecticut, so it wouldn't be any skin off his nose if I came back and ran for mayor. Uh, next, let's go to Robert in Las Vegas. Go ahead, Robert. Thank you for joining us. Hello, I wanted to know your opinion of your comparison between Michael Bloomberg and you and Ed Koch and you. Well, I'm. I appreciate the. I appreciate being put in those company in that company because those guys actually did get elected mayor. I just ran for mayor. Um, look, I I I like Mike Bloomberg as a person. I have a, you know, I I I, I thought he was a good mayor, not a great mayor. I thought he had an opportunity to really do some things to reform the way things were done in New York City since he came from outside, didn't rely on the traditional political forces, did nothing to kind of. Reduced the size of the municipal workforce, did nothing to control pension costs, did nothing to control health care costs. Like he basically did nothing to really reform the city. But he came in at a very difficult time, and I give him a lot of credit for the general ethos he brought of having ideas and kind of bringing in the best possible people. And also I like him personally. Um, I ran against him in 2000 – or I tried to run him in 2005 and, um, and almost ran against him in 2009. By the way, the thing in 2009, he also over, overruled the will of the people uh, by overturning term limits to, uh, uh, to serve himself. Now, Ed Koch, if I, had a, if, if I had a point to a mayor who I kind of see as the archetype, someone who took, the New, took New York through a very difficult time, someone who understood the part of the job of 
being a cheerleader, a spokesman, but also being a no-nonsense kind of guy. The kind of politics that he had was very similar to mine. I think he's he would be the mayor I would consider most, you know, if I ever if I ever would have won, I would have been that kind of that kind of a, a mold. But both both of them deserve a lot of credit. Both, you know, doing the job is hard. It is not an easy job to do. That's one of the reasons I'm inclined to give Eric Adams the benefit of the doubt. And it's also why I um, I think that very often, you know, as as there's a there's a there is a saying, it takes a, a great man or a great woman to build a barn, but any jackass can kick one down. And these are guys who actually did the hard job, and I give them a lot of credit for it. And we got to go to a break. When we come back, a, a couple of thoughts about George Santos. I don't want to get bogged down in it, but I figure I had, do have some things to say. 800-848-WABC. This is The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner, and I'm grateful you're with us. The odds are that we to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Anthony Weiner, that's Bob Mould bringing us back in. One of the things I learned sitting in for James Golden this week, and by the way, I'll be in him for, for him on Monday and Tuesday as well, so we can really, if you'd like to tune in then, um, is he he plays amazing music, and he always lets it breathe. He gives it plenty of time to play, and uh, maybe I should do that a little more. We're talking about predictions of the year, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And I mentioned that my inbox has been filled up uh, with stuff about, um, not just from listeners, but reporters and people like that, uh, Wiener, W-A-B-C at gmail.com, about George Santos. Talked about him a little bit. I found myself in the middle of Santos mania for two important reasons. One is that in that first interview that John Katzenbatiz did, Cats at Night, I happened to be in the studio helping out with that show and helped out with the interview and wound up in the position of asking George Santos point-blank questions about whether things were true in a in a twist of – in an ironic twist that had me asking those questions. And that brings us to the second reason why I've been getting a lot of emails. I'm a politician that resigned for lying. That's what I did. When I – when that – when I had my Twitter scandal in 2011, when I sent an inappropriate – tweet that was was supposed to be directed towards someone and instead it was made public. I lied about it. I lied about it because I was embarrassed. And when the lie blew up and I was found out and I held a press conference and you know came clean or whatever it is, um, I eventually had to resign. Now let me just say one thing before I get to my message to to um, to Mr. Santos. I've heard a lot of calls on different some have come into me, some have come into other saying, it's good for the goose, good for the gander. We did it, they did it, they never say anything. I was forced to resign by my guys. <laughs> I just want to point that out. I'm a living, breathing host on the station that is here sitting doing this show because I'm not the mayor, I'm not a congressman, I'm not anything else. Now, that was just the tip of the iceberg. As it turned out, I was dealing with all kinds of things that I came to realize were addiction, and I hit my bottom later on and everything else. 
But I just have to say a couple of things to get out of the way. He, of course, you should be seated. That's not I don't know what people are saying. You shouldn't be seated. It's the vote. The voters voted for him. The voters get the final say. You know, they decide, you know, we, we're going to go back and say that you needed more information, need less information, whatever it is, we're gonna, we're gonna, you should quit. No, the voters had now. Should local journalism have been better? Yeah, maybe. Should the opponent have pointed out some things? Yeah, maybe. But at the end of the day, we don't. it's not like that. We have a finality that goes on on Election Day. It's not dissimilar from when you have a jury trial, a jury votes. You don't, you don't get to come back and say, wait a minute, Your Honor, I got one more piece of information I want to bring in. I mean, that's a bad example because maybe there are appeals after the fact and some people do get exonerated. But the, the fact is that he, he should be seated. But I don't – I'm not into the piling on that's going on right now for a couple of reasons. You know, one, my experience in watching him, in watching him do interviews, is that he's struggling right now. He's struggling on a level that I know it's – I know this, there's partisanship here, and I know he's made some outrageous – he said some things that are outrageous in nature. And I particularly his – you know, there's this there's this expression when you claim to have done something in war that you didn't do. It's called stolen valor. When you claim, when you wear a, a laurel or a, a medal that you didn't earn or you say you were in service someplace that you weren't or you pretend to be a veteran when you weren't. It's called stolen valor. For many people who lost people in the Shoah, who lost people in the Holocaust, it's in the same category. Just to give you a sense for those of you who don't understand why that's a particularly poignant one. But I think that I have, you know, what they say in my faith, in my community, Rachmanus, I have, I have empathy for him. He is, if he's anything like the way I was, that you're trying to come clean only as much as you think you need to come clean. You're trying to satisfy. You're going on Fox News, ripping the New York Times because you think that's what people want to hear. You're sorry, but you can't bring yourself to really say you're sorry. You know, even when he was on with, with John— you know, there's there's that there's a a, a clip that I think that uh, that Dominic played this morning. You know, where John just asks him his open ended question. You know, anything you want to say? And he basically says, "I'm glad people are supporting me, and that I'm you know they're, they're picking on me, basically." So I just want to say to all of us. I mean, look, he, he I, I don't believe I didn't put this in my predictions. I don't believe he makes it through the end of his first term, but I worry. Just, I just believe that he's really struggling. I don't know anything about him. I wouldn't vote for him in a thousand years. I don't think he should be a member of Congress. Well, that was even before I knew. That. I mean, that's before, and I just knew that he was a he was a January sixth election denier who lost by twelve points and claimed that the election was stolen. And there's lots of reasons I wouldn't vote for him. But as a, a human being and as a fellow traveler and someone who has gone through this, who's gone through this in a very similar, like he's going through this in a holiday slow news period. I went through the same thing. I think it was Memorial. I think it was Memorial Day. I don't know. So I just I was I mean I I I'm he come holding him in my prayers. I I think that he's he's really struggling right now and I think that it's also borderline malpractice that Kevin McCarthy or someone hasn't taken him aside or sent some expert to come and talk to him and just sit him down and just say listen we still need your vote whatever political things we have to do but here's someone who can maybe help you or just be quiet for a couple of days or just go whatever um, so that's my I have a lot I have empathy and that may be a surprise that, to hear that and you know if you want to be snarky you say all right well this is one line congressman giving advice to another but I I knew that what I was going through then was something that felt a lot like madness 
like not knowing what to do, not feeling the ground underneath you moving, knowing that people wanted me. You know, there were polls in my district at the time, like 70% saying don't resign, stay there because we want to reelect you. And then to have a family that was getting raked through the coals, to have friends who were being, to have seven cameras outside your house, it's difficult. He's a human being. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a human being who's struggling and, you know, so. So anyway, so let's, let's go to uh, let's go, go to some calls. I don't want this to be the Santos show, but if people want to talk about it, obviously I'm here for that. And Chris has been waiting a while to talk about this subject. Hey, Chris, welcome back. Hey, Anthony, to follow up on the answer that your caller brought up, I see you as more of a policy wonk than Mayor Koch and Mayor Bloomberg as an administrator, especially. I, I don't know if you're so much of a policy wonk as a legislator in Congress, but that's how I see it. Uh, with the Santos thing, he just embezzled his resume to the point of it. I think it kind of absolves him from, you know, being an effective congressman. But like you say, I mean, I guess he could even get convicted of something and still stay in office unless the party bosses force him to step down and then he just doesn't run for reelection again. Uh, but, you know, the thing about Santos I am seeing now is he's backtracking. He does tell a good story. And unfortunately, but people, human beings, like to hear stories be told. And I guess that's how that and the reason Tom Suozzi deciding not to run again and try and throw his hat to be governor of New York. That's why Santos got elected. But that segues into what I want to talk about, the future of politics. So in the Democratic Party, we have progressives, militant progressive movement, now the emergence of socialists in certain parts of New York and certain parts of the country. And then on the Republican conservative side, we have like the populist anti-government movement that was made effective by Trump. Uh, when are we going to go back to having quality candidates that run on quality problem-solving based platforms, in your opinion? It's a great a super call, as always, from Chris. So let me just start with the first part first, which is the Santos thing. Here's what's going to happen with Santos. He's going to get seated on the third. He is going to be the center of attention on a day that his colleagues are going to, you know, He's got a lot of freshman colleagues. This is going to be the biggest day of their careers. They are going to be glowing. They're going to have families there. And every question is going to be, tell me about Santos. Where are you going to vote for Santos? What about Santos? So immediately when he walks in, he's going to be resented by his colleagues. Then as soon as – within a week after he gets in, there's going to be an ethics, an ethics investigation that's going to be begun both by Hakeem Jeffries and by McCarthy or whoever the, chair, the, the speaker is, Scalise, um, bipartisan – he, and they're going to announce it, probably announce it together or whatever is going to happen. So then he's going to have a very expensive ethics investigation he's going to have to do. And then he's going to – then he has these legal problems that are real legal problems. You can't file documents with the government and expect them not to come not to come back to Hawaii. He's done that with the Federal Election Commission and who knows where else he's filed documents. You know, saying lies is not against the law. You know, it, it's not. Um, and so then he's got that problem. So he's going to have to raise millions and millions of dollars just to defend himself. And he's going to have very few friends in the House of Representatives. The local party didn't, begin, didn't like him to begin with. The, De- the Nassau Demo- Republicans are angry at the Queens Republicans for supporting him. So he's going to have very few friends. To go out to raise that money, who's going to want to give that – who's going to want to write a check to him right now? Who's going to want to show up on a campaign filing giving a contribution to – Santos, and they're going to call from the New York Times, say, what's going on? Now, will that mean he has to resign? No, but it does mean that he is a one-term congressman, in my humble opinion. The only question I have about his future is, does he 
does hear does does the do the Republican the, the, put pressure on him to resign because they think they would do better in a special election in that district than they would a general election in 2024. I think either way that that's a Democratic seat. Um, it's just a matter of when. As far as the second question is concerned about the future of politics, and it's really great. He, you know, I gotta I gotta keep this call in a in a audio file somewhere because it's a great setup for a real. You can do a whole show about this. But what's the future? And and what Chris lays out is not wrong. You've got fringes on the left and right that now seem like they're dominating their party. They are not dominating their party. If you look at most of the winning candidates on the two parties are not from those wings. They're just not. They're not successful candidates by and large. By and large, if you're running for Congress in 2024, you are not calling up AOC to say, come campaign for me, nor are you asking Marjorie Taylor Greene or Gates or one of these other whack jobs. But because of gerrymandering and redistricting and everything else, the, the margins in the House of Representatives are so close in this 50-50 realm, not seats 50%, 50%, that now all it takes is five out there Freedom Caucus kind of guy to bring the entire party and place to a standstill. But the difference in the left and the right in this case is those five guys don't want Congress to do anything. They could care less. They're like walking in there holding a gun to their own head. They don't care. And what has to happen is that one party or the other either has to do one of two things. Develop a caucus within itself, meaning the Democrats and Republicans, that reach across party lines and do kind of what we try to do here in the middle and try to do deals, Democrat and Republican, let's say 20 on each side. Or one party has to get a big enough majority that they can just say, take a hike to these fringes. And I think the first option is the one that's more likely to come to pass. And who knows? You know, I like, you know, in my semi serious predictions for 2023, I talked about the idea of like a Congress that's even closer than four. Like, what if there's a couple of special elections down to two or one? Then it becomes maybe more likely that. You know, just in a room somewhere, 15 Republicans, 15 Democrats say, let's just sit down. We won't tell anyone we're meeting. We don't want to piss off our left or our right. You know, let's see what kind of deals we can get done. So that might be the future. Who knows? You know, from crisis might come improvement. We saw that with the stress test that we had of January 6th. I think our democracy bounced back pretty well. Maybe these close margins will force the left and the right to meet more in the Middle, as we like to say here on the show. So 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're talking about predictions for 2023. We'll have more from you. The board is filling up. We have still a couple of lines open. Curtis Lee, what comes in at 3 o'clock? It's great you to have along. I'm Anthony Weiner, and this is The Middle. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC.
live here? There we go. This is Anthony Weiner on the middle bringing you back in. It, we are here till 3 o'clock, and then Curtis Lee what comes in. Curtis and I are going to talk all about legal uh, cannabis sales and what it means, and we're also going to – he's got some ideas he wants to run by me about whether COVID is over or not. So let's go to the phone calls. Guys have been uh, – you guys have been lined up pretty well, and I want to get to as many as we possibly can. First, let's go to Mark in Westchester. Go ahead, Mark. You with me, Mark? Going once, going twice. Oh, there we go. I'm sorry, Mark. That that was our fault. I'm sorry, buddy. Go ahead. That's okay. Has any Democrats called for Richard Blumenthal, uh, Elizabeth Warren, or Joe Biden to resign? And I haven't heard you call for Mayorkas to resign. You'll say he's not a politician, but that's exactly what he's become. I haven't heard any Democrats call for these guys to resign. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? I don't. Listen, you can have disagreement. Thank you, Mark. You can have disagreements about whether someone said something that was truthful or not. It's been widely reported that Blumenthal uh, uh, misstated his service. It's been, I don't know, the Biden one. Biden, Biden gaffes and mistakes are reported around here like all the time. And, yeah, I was someone who lied in Congress about something I did in my personal life. And, my, and, 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 and my, the president of my party I got on TV and said Anthony Weiner should resign. I mean, it happens. But the price for telling something that you don't agree with or that's not true is not necessarily resigning. Santos, I don't think— I, look, Santos has to decide what to do. I think he should be seated. But this whole idea, oh, well, you didn't do it. So everyone, it is fair to report on the radio when someone didn't tell the truth. If you're the president of the United States and you lie about your taxes, it's fair to report about it. If you're a congressman who sends out a tweet and he says it wasn't him because he was embarrassed and he didn't want his wife to know, it's fair to report about it. If you're Blumenthal, it's fair to report about it. People say things that are not true. And by the way, I don't know what line of work Mark is in. I bet you people will say things that are not true in a lot of different lines of work, and we have to decide what's the suitable penalty. I don't believe that every case is the same. We are adults. We can make distinctions. We certainly can. Uh, David in the Bronx, what distinction do you make, my friend? Hey, good afternoon, Congressman Weiner. Good afternoon. Um, let me ask you this. I put a question to you earlier in the week about whether it's advantageous to lose an election if you're committing uh, violations with your financing. And I'm, I'm actually curious whether you think Santos would have uh, gotten w- away with the financing irregularities if he had either lost the election or hadn't lied about his resume. Excellent question. By the way, the question you asked earlier in the week, David, once again brings some good stuff to the table. Yes, is there any advantage since he loaned his campaign money and any advantage to doing that and losing? Like he speculated he might want to lose, and there's really not. Look, the 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 fact of the matter is that anything that came out about his filings, his FEC filings, could have been reported at any time, and the FEC could have taken a complaint from any citizen and then had a hearing on it. But that would have not probably resulted in anything that – in any sanction that would have been that bad. Now – if the source of his money, if yes, there's no doubt about it that the attention he's getting is the cumulative effect of a whole bunch of lies, and that maybe you know federal prosecutors might not have cared about this case if it had not been such a high profile and and he, and he digging himself so deep and so deep and forced reporters to do so much work. That's why when people say, "Oh, he's come clean," well, no, just the same way I didn't come clean. I said only what I thought people needed to hear to, to, let me, to let me move to the next day. As it turned out, I was dealing with a lot of things that were much more deep-seated than that. Um, next, let's go to Andrew and Stanhope. Andrew, welcome aboard. 
Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And I uh, just want to say, <clears throat> I think you just lied right now. Number one, you said I lied because my it would be embarrassing for my wife to find out, and I lied about something personal. And then you just said my issues were turned out to be more deep-seated. So those are, are all manipulative statements, even though they're true, to make your lies less egregious, to make what you did to justify, to make it less bad. But I want to say why I called was because you said that Holocaust denier anti-Semitism is also part of Trump's party. But what about Omar? She literally blocked, which you'll agree that Israel— Andrew, Andrew, before we move on, you agree with me, though, a part that the anti-Semites are part of the Trump coalition. I agree that they're also part of your— No, no, I understand, but just just just, let's, let's get into the habit of saying when we think things are true. Do we think that is true about Trump's coalition? I think it's more true of your coalition and Kanye. I would have reached out to him to try to reason with him. He's into the Bible and Christianity. I would have used the Bible and said all people are acceptable. Why do we have so much trouble? And, Andrew, I appreciate the call. Why do we have so much trouble saying that that something that we know is true and a weakness of our own side? I couldn't even get Andrew to say the words. It's so obvious that guy, whatever the that. I mean, the, the, the white nationalists, the anti-Semites, the, 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 there's, they're a very big part of the Trump coalition. We have them on our side, but it's, they're, they're not as big part in, in our coalition, but maybe they're – and to say that I haven't been – that I manipulated, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't think there is a person around who has tried to be as more transparent than I am about my shortcomings and about the things that I did wrong. I went to prison. I accepted responsibility for that. You know, I, you know, when I try to make my amends, you know, there's a saying that if you insult someone in public, you should apologize in public. Well, the same goes for making amends. My amends I tried to make to the public in a public way because that was where my my sins were. I was a politician who did these things. People put their faith in me. People put their confidence in me. They believed in me. I said I was going to do certain things that I couldn't do because of my troubles, of my addiction, of my madness, whatever language that you think I should be using. And so part of my making amends is to do it now in public by trying to speak as directly and frankly as possible. I'm open to the idea that when I say things like I lied because I was embarrassed and I lied it was a, about a personal thing, the, that I, I was saying that to let myself off easy. The only, perp, the only purpose of using those modifiers is to kind of say that I was forced to resign arguably for less than he is not resigning for and his party is not calling on him to resign. So that's the only point that I was making, that I didn't have, you know, a Siri, you know, whatever it is. I shouldn't snap. That, that's a reason. You know what? He's not on the board. He, he's he's not not on anywhere. I I, I apologize. That that's a fair point. That maybe I use that language. That's something I should think about. That I was minimizing there. I should I should be on 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 watch for that. So we're coming in towards the end of the last show of the year. And I I have to tell you how grateful I am to all of you, the listeners. You know, there was a real question both in my mind, in the mind of John and Margot Katzmatias. Just you know. What would the world of being in front of a microphone and taking callers and talking intimately to people on the radio, what would that look like to someone like me with my background? And I didn't come out, you know, it's been years, years since I've been in the public eye. I, you know, some of it because I was in prison for some of that time and some of it after prison, I just didn't feel that I was the person who can do that anymore, that I had the strength to do it or that my my recovery was good enough to be doing that. 
And it has not only been something that I've enjoyed, it's something that I think, I mean, I have learned every day from the people who have called in. Um, I'm not great at it yet. I'm still learning, but it's a learning process that I, I really enjoy, and I'm really grateful to have the opportunity um, the opportunity to do it. And, you know, this time of year, people say, what do you want to do the next year? What's your resolution? What's the thing you want to have? And, and there's a very deeply ingrained thing in in the life of a recovered person that you don't talk like that. You talk about today. You talk about right now. You look down at your feet and say, at this moment. And at this moment, I feel a lot of gratitude for all of you, for Christian, for Ava, for Kevin, for all the people that have made it possible for me to be on the air, for Curtis, who has been an amazing source of advice and inspiration, watching him do what he does every day, to the other hosts here that have you know always been free with advice, Frank Morano, Chad Lopez, the other folks. You know, it's almost a running joke among listeners. You know, you probably know these names as well as members of your own family because they get mentioned so much because that's the kind of spirit that there is here at the station. I'm very grateful for all of you. And the one wish I have for you is that every day you have a chance to think of something that you're grateful for. Um, I'm very grateful to have all of you as my audience, people who agree with me, people who disagree with me. I'm so grateful for the support of Huma and from Jordan and my parents and my brother and and, and all the people in, in, in my life that have helped me, all the people that I've met um, in recovery, all the people that send me anonymous notes, sometimes the snarky ones. Um, I leave you today at the end of this year with enormous amount of gratitude. I hope to see you in 2023. May it be a, a healthy new year for all of you. Stay safe, and we'll see you coming up next, Left versus Right with Curtis Lewa.